0: Welcome to Success Story, the most useful podcast in the world. I'm your host, Scott D. Clary. The Success Story podcast is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network. The HubSpot Podcast Network has incredible podcasts like the Gain, Grow, Retain podcast. The podcast is hosted by Jeff Brunsbach and Jay Nathan. Now, Gain, Grow, and Retain is built to inspire SaaS and technology leaders who are facing the day-to-day challenges of scaling. Hosts, Jeff and Jay share conversations about growing and scaling subscription businesses with a customer-first approach. If any of these topics sound interesting to you, you're gonna like the podcast. Creating more brand advocates, SaaS as a predominant model for business, customer success at scale, or the challenges of integrating new tools with CSM. Some of these topics pique your interest. You're gonna love the podcast. You're gonna love Gain, Grow, Retain. Go check it out wherever you get your podcasts. Remember, Gain, Grow, Retain on the HubSpot Podcast Network. Today, my guest is Mario Nattarelli. Mario is a managing partner at Emblem. Emblem is a marketing firm that focuses on brand intimacy. Now, what is brand intimacy? brand intimacy the definition is the emotional science behind the bonds we form with the brands we use and love so in 2020 emblem did a study to measure brand intimacy this was the list apple amazon google walmart youtube toyota disney netflix chevrolet and playstation from first to 10th so that, those were the brands with the top 10 uh highest brand intimacy now why does brand intimacy matter well across revenue growth Profit, stock price, brands that have the highest brand intimacy with their customers outperform everyone else. So there's a a huge revenue component uh, tied to having high brand intimacy. And this is what Emblem studies. And this is what Emblem helps their customers with. Mario himself is the author of the Amazon number one bestseller, Brand Intimacy, A New Paradigm in Marketing. He is a regular speaker and has been featured on Yahoo Finance, CNBC, Fox, uh, TV Mornings with Maria, uh, and NASDAQ Market Site, amongst others. He also speaks globally at conferences and industry events. So let's jump right into this. Let's understand brand intimacy and how you can improve your brand intimacy with your business. This is Mario Naturelli, Managing Partner at Emblem.
1: Well, the fast version of that story is, thanks for having me, by the way, Scott. The fast version of that story is I graduated as an architect at a time of a recession in Toronto, and I love architecture. I love the education of architecture and the application of it, and I practiced for about five years and really struggled and saw this career trajectory that was going to take me multiple decades. Um, the recession was a blessing. I ended up doing um, everything to kind of survive. A lot of it was marketing-related. And I started a digital marketing business at the beginning of the internet, essentially, with some colleagues. And uh, we had a lot of success very early on. We were one of the first companies to use virtual reality and, and a lot of the exciting things that were happening in the internet in the early days. We got acquired. And this little company from Toronto uh, was then part of a big uh, marketing conglomerate called Interpublic. I moved to New York. I thought it was going to be a two-year move. It ended up, uh, I'm now in my 20th year here. Uh, along the way, I learned a lot. I uh, joined a branding agency within Interpublic called Future Brand. I led the digital practice there uh, for a good five to six years and then eventually worked my way up to CEO of Future Brand in North America and the Middle East. I worked on brands of every size, scale, nature. Um, it was really my indoctrination to all things branding. And along the way, I learned that there were a lot of parallels between the study and the education of architecture and the building of brands. And about 11 years ago, uh, we decided that we, we really needed to rethink marketing and branding. And we decided that starting a new company called emblem would be a a better vehicle for doing that. Um, and so here we are in our 11th year of, of proving out that
0: theory. So first of all, uh, congratulations on the success. Um, I'm sure that, Exiting a marketing firm is is not easy, uh, but still that's that's very impressive. Uh, even the early career pivot and the success there very impressive. I didn't even know you were from Toronto. I'm Canadian as well, so I'm also <laughs> I'm also from Toronto. A little a little bit younger than you. I didn't go through the recession <laughs> and the and the early stages of the internet, but that's still that's uh, still incredible. I'm curious. Okay, so two questions out of that. First of all, what are the what are the lessons that you've learned in architecture that carry over to marketing? That's an interesting lens that I don't think many people have.
1: Well, architecture is a wonderful uh, education in art, science, technology, culture, um, really understanding how cities work, but also how we live in the environments around us. So you, you really have to be tuned to a lot of things and really uh, be masters at many of them to be a successful architect. And I think that's what really intrigued me about the profession. It's sort of felt like this you know, uh, entire lifetime of journey to arrive at building, you know, spaces that will remember and that will change the way we live or the way cities work. Um, There's something very ambitious and bold about brands. They're culture-driven things, right? Great companies are great cultures. Building those from scratch is uh, analogous to how you form a building or how you form a city. Um, it's also analogous in that it's art and science, right? A lot of this um, can be measured and can be uh, engineered, and some of it is instinctual, creative, and whimsical. <laughs> and so there's some parallels there that, that were interesting. I think the other thing about architecture is it gives you a training in, in, a, in a critical eye, you know, understanding the role of, of history and art and how to judge, critique, evolve, create, Uh, collaborate is really important in architecture and also in marketing so those are just some of the things that i draw parallels to
0: i love the i love the i love the analogy and the parallels that you see in architecture versus uh, versus marketing because i definitely agree that all those things are what makes marketing so beautiful and what i've seen more and more and i want to get your input on this. Is that it seems like people are focused more on transactional marketing versus that beautiful culture that the the whimsical and the creative mixed with the the tangible ROI on marketing dollars spent in this particular thing. And I'm curious, as you've basically been in marketing since the internet, which is very impressive. Have you seen or depending marketing- on how you look at it? yeah (laughs) no well listen it's you have you have such tenure in the industry have you what have you seen change in what marketing is over your career to what it is today or has the main core thread of what marketing is stayed the same
1: well i think there has been some major pivots and the one that you started the question around is this ever-increasing focus on the near term and the tactical. And I think the more tools that we have to measure things, the more the executive layer of organizations see look to see immediate returns on, on, on actions, initiatives. And marketing tends to fall into a dangerous zone when you think of it in short term. And especially when you think about the culture of an organization, how long it cha- how long it takes to mold a culture and then shift it. Um, it's hard to measure those things in immediate terms. And it's also hard to measure things sometimes on tactics. So, you know, our job as um, helping clients transform brands, we try to help move them upstream and think about the wider view, the longer term. But that's a perpetual challenge for executives and for CMOs. I mean, we're here on the agency side. Uh, Our challenge is, is significant, but on the... Client side, I imagine that's even harder, and probably why CMOs have such short tenures.
0: I mean, well, and all revenue leaders have increasingly short tenures. CMOs, right. in particular, <laughs> CROs, yes. VP sales. It's difficult right. because, the, especially in a in a in an increasingly venture backed world, where right. the the you have to have like results on steroids or you're out, which I don't think is healthy either. That's a whole other, you know, podcast, whole other set of issues. So, right. When you, when you started in marketing, what would a client come to you to achieve when you first started your firm?
1: Well, on the digital side of the business, you know, these were the early days when people were enamored and sort of digital was romantic in a sense. So really just having a presence was the achievement. Mm-hmm. So in the early days, it was, you know, rather simplistic. You know, can we, can we build a digital version of this brand? You know, we spent a lot of time even convincing people that there was a reason to do that, if you can believe it. Um, so we've long since passed those hurdles and challenges, right? It's almost funny to think back at some of those initial conversations that we had with brand owners, um, trying to explain to them the role that digital play. Why I have a website? <laughs> <laughs> Why well, have a website, right? Uh, what What is e-commerce, and what do I do? I need it. Um, those are almost cute nowadays,
0: right? Um, And now when you when you when brands approach you and emblem, what are they what do they need now? What's the what's the you know, you're as an agency, I'm sure you specialize and I want to unpack what emblem actually specializes in.
1: Sure.
0: But what do brands approach you about? Because they see you, they, they see the work that you've done and they say, I want to achieve what?
1: Yeah, C- clients come with a, to us with similar pain points. Generally, they're in a transformation of some kind. You know, we are trying to move from X to Y. We're growing and we're maturing and the brand needs to keep pace with that business um, growth. Or sometimes two brands are coming together and they need to form a, a new entity. Or a business idea needs a brand from scratch. Name, identity, you know, uh, strategy, execution. So those tend to be the reasons people join or come to us initially. One of those pain points is, is generally prevalent. In addition, we do do some surgical work on big companies that have well-established brands. And that could be things like helping them rationalize their portfolio. Do they have too many brands? Are they the right brands? Are they organized in the right way? Uh, or tactics sometimes are important. We need a campaign. We need a new... Uh, web presence or we need a new strategy in social or you know we we have some interesting thought leadership we need you to help us package it or activate it so those those tend to be more uh, surgical deployments um, compared to the more larger brand transformation
0: work i just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode netsuite now picture this this is it the putt to win the tournament if you sink it The championship is yours, but on your backswing, your hat falls over your eyes. Is this how you're running your business? Poor visibility into what's actually happening because you're relying on spreadsheets and outdated finance software. To see the full picture, you need to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle. If you are a business owner, you need visibility into what's happening in your business. NetSuite gives you that visibility. It gives you visibility over your financials, your inventory, HR, planning, budgeting, and more. NetSuite is everything you need to have visibility, to have control, and most importantly, to grow all in one place. With NetSuite, you can automate your process and close your books in no time while staying well ahead of your competition. 93% of surveyed businesses increased both their visibility into what was going on as well as their control after they switched and upgraded to NetSuite. Remember, NetSuite is rated the number one cloud financial system to power your growth. And over 27,000 businesses already use NetSuite. And right now, through to the end of the year, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind financing program to those ready to upgrade at netsuite.com Scott clary. So if you want to take advantage, head to netsuite.com slash clary for a special end of the year financing on the number one financial system for growing businesses. That is netsuite.com slash Scott Clary. And out of all the topics, because the theme that you wrote a book on that permeates your website, it's about brand intimacy. Now, all the things you just mentioned, I've heard other marketing agencies do. Other marketing agencies focus on all your different, your product portfolio or, you know, a social strategy. Brand intimacy. I've worked in marketing and maybe this is actually a fault of mine. Maybe this is more a commentary on me not being aware enough, but I I don't know what brand intimacy really is. And maybe that's just because I've grown up in the world of you have to have positive, you know, return on ad ad spend, or you have to have X percent ROI on your, on your Facebook campaigns or whatnot, or uh, these are, these are all, these are all very tactical things. And like I said, it's to a fault sometimes, but brand intimacy doesn't seem like there's a, a, a KPI associated with it. It seems more like a, a a way that you look at marketing or look at brand. But why was it so important for you to write a book on it? Why was it so important for Emblem to focus on it as an organization?
1: Well, yeah, let me take you back to why all the whys, right? The whys are important. So we were in a leading brand consultancy, shaping the world's best brands in a really competent way. And what we realized is that there was a pivot in the marketplace and we didn't think we could solve it using the same tools and approaches and so here's this shorthand view of the way we saw the world and it's still true today one there's an ever increasing proliferation of brands so more more noise harder to differentiate the signal from the noise so if you're a brand if you're in the brand building business it's harder to kind of step away and differentiate or to create distinction if you're on the receiving end you know you're kind of it's a cacophony of of signals right so that's one issue the second is that increasingly customers are in control right so it's now fully uh pull versus push and so again increasingly hard if you're in the brand formation and transformation business the third force really compounds the first two which is the role that technology is playing so increasingly with these supercomputers in our pockets Brands are being basically disintermediated by technology. Technology is the gateway that either enables or uh, dilutes the brand experience, right? So that's, that's definitely more kind of common now, but it's 11 years ago that was becoming clearer. And the last force and the most important is that what we know about how our brains work is new and different. Behavioral scientists have proven that when we make decisions, emotion drives those decisions. So we like to think of ourselves as rational creatures, but you know, ultimately, if decisions are being driven by emotion, then are we factoring that into the way we build brands, and then how we measure them, and then ultimately how we prove out this idea of marketing effectiveness, right? So those were the forces at work. So we knew something had to change. Brand intimacy basically became our journey into looking at what is the role that emotion plays in branding, and how can we get smarter around it? The book became a kind of output of what we discovered along the way.
0: And, and the, the initial, and what was, so you, you, you start to understand, okay, so if emotion is driving decisions, because every decision is emotional, even, you know, I'm more of a traditional sales leader than marketing leader, but, you know, emotion, you make decisions based on emotion, then you justify with logic, but those are still emotionally like driven decisions. So if that's how a customer thinks. Then we have to find a way to uh, build out a more replicable process around creating brands that sync up with the consumer's emotions, and also that's that's so that's a smart that's a smart concept. Now, you put together a study on brand intimacy throughout COVID. Was that concept something you were already working on before COVID, or did COVID just further double down and propagate this idea that how important brands and brand intimacy was with consumers.
1: Yeah. Yes. So the study, the recent study is one of, well, we do it annually. So it's been ongoing, but it's the first time we, the, the study you're referring to is the first time we did this measurement post pandemic. But um, the studies are a byproduct of understanding a bigger idea here that is, what we learned about consumers is that they form bonds with brands in similar ways that we bond with each other. So those bonds are reciprocal, they're fluid, um, and when we discovered that, that we actually create these bonds like we do with each other, um, we thought, well, wouldn't it be great if we can measure those? So okay, how do we do that, right? So that took numerous years, a lot of qualitative quantitative research work to fine tune a formula to measure the degree of intimacy or the the degree of emotional connection between you and a brand. So the the foundation, and that's really what the book uh, tries to lay out, is how we arrived at that uh, formula and, and what it um, you know what it does for us. But really simply, the formula is you have to be a user of the brand to count. That's important. So this isn't about what you perceive or what you think or what you heard. Uh, it's not about awareness. It's purely about the connection you have to a product or service that you use next we measure a series of archetypes and a series of stages the archetypes are kind of like the dna of the relationship and the stages are the degree of intimacy and then we use a, an algorithm to create a quotient score uh, from zero to 100 the point of all that is it gives us a mechanism to see who does this well who doesn't why is that what can we learn from them uh, and it also allows us to look at industry performances, uh, performance of brands and industries versus each other. It allows us to look at demographics. How does this change with old people versus young people? Uh, you know, what do millennials prefer versus another uh, demographic? And, um, and it basically gives us a framework also to work with our clients to say hey this is this is a kind of new compass or new alignment of where your long term marketing goal is. Stop thinking about your brand as a thing and think about your brand as a series of relationships with key stakeholders that you're going to measure and improve over time
0: now one point that I wanted to just touch on that you mentioned is one of the uh, one of the metrics that you include in this calculation because I think it's also interesting that you point out that you focus on brand intimacy based on people that are already using your brand. I don't want to dive too much down another path, but I'm just curious as to your thoughts on how brand intimacy can play into gaining net new customers as well to bring them into the fold.
1: Yeah. No, I think it's a great question. What happens to the people that aren't users, right? So our belief is that if you know if you know how to build strong bonds with the people who use your product, that is going to hold true for how you attract people towards it. Um, So there may be other... By the way, this isn't also suggesting that all the other ways you measure brand or all the other things that you do aren't useful. Uh, You know, brand value or um, net promoter score or, or these other mechanisms are... They have their role in their place. And, you know, we're not trying to say do away with all that. We're just trying to say that uh, there is some things that are antique and maybe should be thrown away. The idea of loyalty is a good example, right? So yeah. I'm loyal to my cell phone provider, but I, I don't really like them. in fact, I yeah. definitely, well, you don't
0: know, you are running out of choice at that point.
1: <laughs> exactly. Just, so, I'm just a a loyalist. yeah. so as a mechanism, loyalty is a kind of dated concept. So right away, intimacy can replace something like loyalty for sure. Um, and to your question then, so. If I'm in the business of just attracting customers, what role does intimacy play? Well, if you think about those things as early relationships, one of the interesting data points we have is the most correlated and interesting thing we learned is that the first impression with a brand is extremely important in building intimacy. It has an extremely disproportionate amount of importance versus the multiple touch points that follow. So if you know that and you're in the business of acquisition, customer acquisition, that could change the way you really think about your marketing and your investments, right? And that's just one example of many that we've come up with because of the data on brand
0: intimacy. And one of the one of the points, which isn't really that surprising, is that throughout COVID, um, brands that have this that ha- the score higher on this on on brand intimacy, they continuously outperform. So, even walk me through some of the things that you've learned throughout COVID um, with brands that do have high intimacy scores with their customers? Is it uh, obviously one of the most difficult times in you know, current history? When you say they perform better, is it a, a noticeable multiplier versus ones that don't, or is it a, a percent better? What's yeah. the, how much should people care about this basically? Well, you care about it post COVID or in general? <laughs> it, well, I guess. I, well, I would say I it, it, obviously post COVID, but I would say you can look into you can look into the most troubling times in in recent history to understand in the worst case scenario. Yeah. Brand intimacy. What that. Does, what does that actually mean for right. a brand and their customer versus in probably a, a less stressful environment? Right. Well, look, every year we learn
1: more and more. And when the world changed on us in early 2020, right, May or April 2020, we actually wondered, well, one, are we going to survive? Two, if we survive, what's the role that brands play in our lives? And as we moved into the second and third quarter of 2020, we thought it was really important to test that theory. You know, what is the role of emotion now that the world is upside down? The early results were surprising. We thought we didn't know what to expect, to be honest. But the early results were that we bond more with brands since COVID than before, and this and it's significantly more. So we also have 33% more brands in our lives that we have some form of emotional connection with than we did before, um, and that's also surprising. And I think maybe it shouldn't be surprising because the 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 more isolated we became, in a way, brands replaced the role that almost people were forming in our lives or in our relationships. And there were things that aren't surprising, like Zoom and Purell became breakthrough brands in our study, as you would anticipate, right? Um, Amazon and Apple did extremely well. The streaming brands did generally much better. But there were other things that that caught us off-brand. Off, off guard and other other surprises, brands who really pivoted extremely well in the early parts of the pandemic were interesting for us to observe. Um, you know, brands like Walmart that you wouldn't necessarily anticipate or Microsoft did extremely well in the early days. We just repeated the study and we're about to launch it. So in September, on September 8th, we're gonna show the second year of the data. So um, from April, 2021, and there's, again, uh, general new uh, layering of information. Uh, brands are doing extremely well uh, as they were before in the pandemic. Um, and there's some new you know risers and, and some brands that have suffered since the beginning. But th- those are just some of the things that we've taken away in, in, the, in the COVID version of the study.
0: And the people that do it the best, um, I'm <laughs> curious as to who those people are. But what are they what are they really doing differently? You mentioned one thing that was the initial touch point with the customer. But for somebody who's listening to this, perhaps they already have a you know, they they obviously want to focus on customer acquisition always, but there's there's probably other things that they do well, the top brands that somebody would want to replicate or emulate um, to tap into their existing and build intimacy with their existing customer base. So what? Are you, let's let's walk through some people that do it incredibly well. Like you mentioned some, but there's some probably others that maybe post COVID are also exceptional. Yeah. Well,
1: th- there are some brands that do it well and have always done it well, and they are, uh, you know, they create a kind of distortion field because you know they do so many things well that it that it's almost mm-hmm. a humbling and, and paralyzing at the same time. A brand like Apple, when you think about a brand like that, from a brand point of view, marketing point of view and its its dominance in the industry. You know, it's hard to take lessons from that because of the scale that it operates on and the extreme kind of sophistication. Um, but that's one that's sort of a continual uh, performer. Let's take one that wasn't, that is, Pivoting well, Microsoft is interesting and never been a Microsoft fan necessarily, but under Nadella, Nadella, I think that's what you pronounce his name, the new CMO, CEO leadership, the brand really pivoted to a much more nurturing, much more um, sensitive orientation around its messaging and marketing. And then during COVID, it doubled down on some of those pivots. And created a much more relevant message. Um, tools that were helping us while we were remote, or in collaboration, or or what have you. And it really benefited. It really you really saw clearly how it outshone its its peers um, in terms of the quickness with the pivot, and then the um, effectiveness with which it, it sort of uh, reached its target with effective messaging. So that's, what, that's a quick example there. You know, the other thing that I like about the study is that you don't have to be a big business to do well. I mean, we just talked about two ginormous companies, but um, I kind of like <laughs> how even smaller companies do very well. Yeah. So before the acquisition, Whole Foods had historically always done well in our study. And, uh, you know, things have changed since it was acquired by Amazon. But before the, the acquisition, it really stood for a brand that was extremely well-tailored and oriented towards uh, a very clear idea and well-executed um, and and consistently executed. And it was also a quality play. Uh, so it was interesting to see that uh, performance. Another brand, just to, just to bring up, uh, Sephora does very well year over year and that is notwithstanding that luxury brands and health and beauty brands generally perform very poorly so Sephora has an interesting um, why is that just I'm just curious good question (laughs) I can Uh, only surmise a couple of things one is um, it's 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 an amalgam of product right Sephora is a great aggregator So if you're interested in the products that are staged there, I don't think anyone does it necessarily. Anyone curates it necessarily better. Uh, And then the customer service and the experience are very, very good. So I think that's the reason why that brand does extremely well. But let me get back to your question, which is, you know, how do you do it? How do you build build intimacy? yeah
0: because there's all these examples and I, and even people that are going to hear whole foods are like well i i don't have a whole, whole what foods do i yet. do with that right yeah. yeah
1: well okay so the first thing i'll say is if you're thinking about your brand as an inanimate object or as a thing you know change that right start thinking about the relationship of you and your stakeholders whether they're employees or primary audience or target audience or influencers or investors Think about those bonds and how you're forming them. That's sort of the a priori um, lesson to take away of this. And I think right away, if you do that, it'll change uh, a lot of what you do. Um, So second, we, we have a framework that we use when we're thinking about brand building. It's a simple framework and it can work as both a process and a diagnostic. So think of it in three steps. Defining your essence, what you stand for, how you articulate it, codify it, uh, what your brand looks like, sounds like, feels like. That's the core foundation of the brand. The next layer, think of it like Russian dolls or cascading or rippling water, right? The next layer is the story layer, your narrative, how you engage your audience. This is the lifeblood of the brand. So on the foundation of essence sits the story. Then the next layer is the experience layer, orchestrating the touch points, uh, and really engineering a kind of cohesive, frictionless experience. Now that sounds simple, right? We know that's really hard to do once, and it's extremely hard to keep doing that. And so what I think great brands do well, aside from understanding their brand is a relationship and how to nurture it, is they know how to do essence story and experience well, continually. And, you know, this is sort of circling back on an earlier point you made, this isn't just marketing's job, right? If you're running a company, these are, uh, this is a multidisciplinary challenge. This is about product. It's about strategy. It's about customer service. It's about sales. It's about a bunch of things beyond just how you market, right? Mm-hmm. And that's another thing that a lot of these great brands demonstrate, that they um, aren't just layering uh, a message on a flawed product. They're ultimately great businesses with great brands
0: do you do you still see because obviously when you have multi-million and billion dollar marketing budgets you can hire the expertise to understand this and to execute on it i i don't know how small the organizations are like at the at the small end of what you work with i know you work with large brands but i'm just curious in the startup ecosystem Do you, well, first of all, do you work with any smaller companies and organizations, startups? Okay, so do you feel like the average CEO founder skews towards a more old school version of marketing and brand as more transactional? Or do you feel like the paradigm is slightly shifting towards something that is more in line with this holistic view of what marketing is, what marketing has to be to, of course, sell your product, but also turn your customers into evangelists, build that intimacy. Where do you think founders default to?
1: So we uh, we do a lot of work with startups and what I would call mature startups. And I think it is fair to say that they tend to fall more in that transactional space. Um, I don't think it's any easier for a small startup as it is for a big company to do this. I mean, you can make counter arguments. A big company, trying to turn a big company around is like turning a tanker, right? It's yeah, extremely scary. difficult. Uh, so yes, they may have great consultants or great staff, but you know, at the end of the day, if you have 30,000 employees and you used to be known for one thing, it's very hard to change that. Um, so it, the challenge is consistent and equally difficult in both and and our work tends to be just as hard building a brand from scratch as it is working with you know very sophisticated and bigger brands what i would say with mature startups that i feel um is an extra layer to the challenge is that the the creator or the founder's mindset especially if it's a scientifically led or engineering led solution Those tend to be heavily rationally oriented um, mindsets, right? So, you know, um, one of the things that Apple and Tesla and other companies like that, um, sort of darlings of Silicon Valley have done is convince people that product is marketing. So, I'm going to build the best electric vehicle and it is my marketing. And I don't need to do... Super Bowl ads. I don't need to be on social media. I can just make this great thing, and they will come. And that's true if you're Tesla and, and Apple, <laughs> maybe. Um, but if
0: you're not, or, but or, if you're not, or even, even um, then, but even then. you
1: know, there's nothing fundamentally wrong with that thinking, though, right? The product is is the most important element of all of this. It has to be great. Um, is that the marketing in all cases? I'm not sure. Uh, I, I would say that that's that is a flawed way to look at it, and even Steve Jobs understood the role that marketing played and was actually extremely adept at it and did some of the best marketing ever created, even though the products were also heroic. so I think people sometimes fall into these traps and uh, I think they they lose sight of the role that marketing played
0: Very good. Very good. Um, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, HubSpot. Now, you may have heard me speak about leveling up in the past, how we can level up our careers, our businesses, our customer experience. I wanted to take a minute and focus on that last one, because when we level up our customers' experiences, we transform our customers into evangelists and help our business and our careers grow like crazy with new features dedicated to helping your sales teams improve your customer experience. HubSpot is on a mission to help millions of companies grow Better starting with yours. Conversation intelligence tools help your teams get real-time insights into calls with automatic recording, transcription, and call analysis. With more visibility into customer conversations, coaching and customer feedback becomes that much easier. Easy share meeting links let customers see availability and book meetings for you all from the HubSpot platform. This cuts out endless cycles of scheduling email. Learn more about how you can transform your customer experience with a HubSpot CRM platform at HubSpot.com. What would be uh, what would be one tactical step that uh, that somebody who's listening to this would want to focus on tomorrow if they wanted to move their company in this direction? Would it be a mindset thing? Would it be a yeah, hiring I, emblem? Oh. I'm just- <laughs>
1: Well, we always welcome that i think the first step yeah. is what is the role i mean first of all if the company has some scale and, and um it has a degree of customers and, and, and data you know it's what to what degree do you augment your data with some emotional measures so when we first started this nobody was really talking about these kinds of measures nowadays almost every research company does a form of this so you can now augment um and think about your data differently so that's a good first step if you have uh some scale if if you're small is smaller or just um, forming i think the question is to what extent can this be a compass for you can brand intimacy be the thing that guides your marketing uh, long term and your brand Um, so if that were the case you know to what extent does the relationships that you want to build, um, how do you want to engineer those relationships? How are you going to nurture them? How do you move them from you know, uh, starting to use you to being ultimately fused with your brand? And when you start thinking along those terms, it'll change all your tactics. It'll change what you measure. It'll change how you communicate. Um, it'll change how you evaluate your partners and the work that you do.
0: What would be uh what would be one uh potentially unpopular opinion that you have about brand and marketing?
1: Unpopular opinion. What a great question. An unpopular opinion.
0: Something that goes contrary to what most people would believe.
1: Well, the idea that marketing is fundamentally rooted on something that is emotionally driven is i think a bit of a renegade idea in and of itself right? right i mean um
0: it shouldn't be but i agree that
1: it is well there's true. a lot of science that may say you know through data you can get to truth and i think that's fair uh, maybe in some cases so but i guess that could be one of them that's a really good question i'd have to think more on Here's, an idea, here's another thing that comes from the study that isn't necessarily counter, but is completely new. And that is the closer you are to the hardware, the more the magic of the device, um, the more the brand gets credited with the magic of the device. So if you're a smartphone manufacturer, you get credit for the content, the information, the uh, access, the social media connectivity, engagement, all of those things that happen on a smartphone even though many brands drive that, most of the credit goes to the hardware manufacturer. That's something we've learned in brand intimacy. Interesting. And that's also true for gaming. And so why does that matter? Well, if you're ever partnering with any of those brands, whether it's an entertainment brand or a social media brand or a access brand or a hardware company, I think it's important to know that because at at some level, those brands are being discounted. Those other brands are being discounted, the non-hardware brands.
0: Very, and I think the nice truth behind inside.
1: that is that you hold it, it's it's uh, tactile, it, it you know, it sort of commands this priority to those other
0: brands, maybe fairly or unfairly, but that's... A gateway to everything else. You you pick it up. It's the thing that you Physical get gateway, the games on. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the tactile thing you pick up. One of the reasons why social media brands do extremely poorly in our study. because 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 people don't actually have intimacy with the brand, they have intimacy with the device that they access the brand or the app on?
1: That's one level of it. I think the second level is that they're seen as utilities, they're free generally. And they're, they're not, um, the bonds that they're forming, you know, you, 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 I don't really bond with Instagram, I bond with my community on Instagram, right. So the brand isn't really working overtime to build a bond with me. uh, I'm more interested in the connectivity within it. So I thought on that. social media brands know that and probably are trying to work around that. That's also one of the reasons you're seeing Google, Facebook and others doing so much more advertising lately than they've ever done before. And have you noticed that the advertising is extremely emotionally driven?
0: Yeah, yeah, I do. I I really do. Um, I'm just curious if you think that there is a correlate because when you're trying to market a product, you may want to put free stuff out into the world to bring people in but i'm curious on that point that you just mentioned do you think that you lose that brand intimacy if people aren't paying for a product so
1: our study says that that isn't the case and i understand the freemium model that you're referencing we haven't seen a correlation between how much you pay for a product and the degree of intimacy there's a couple things that are interesting myths that we've debunked one How much you use a product has no correlation so if i go to my favorite resort once a year versus using instagram 50 times a day those two things don't affect how much i feel about um, brands so degree of uh, frequency doesn't matter to intimacy Uh, net promoter score doesn't matter so to the degree to which i would refer another person to this product or service has no correlation to intimacy which is interesting Um, advertising also has no correlation. So whether I see a message today or recently, and then you interview me now has no correlation to how I feel about that product. I, uh, whether or not I saw those ads had, had no effect. As I said earlier, one thing that does correlate is uh,
0: first impressions. Um, so. But on the, on the flip side of that, if I do have brand intimacy, am I expecting my NPS to go up? Is there an inverse correlation? There no, is no not...
1: correlation between the two. Um, I would suspect if you're really good at building strong emotional bonds, you will have a strong net promoter score. That would be, I think, fair to assume, but, yeah. but they, the two are not, um, correlating. Very, I very will say that there are other benefits to intimacy. We haven't talked about that we are excited by one is we know the more intimate you are, the more you're willing to pay for a product. That's important, we know the more intimate you are, the more aligned your behavior uh, and actions are so that's really important if you want to build an ethos or a strong employee culture around a brand uh, and we know that the more intimate the, the most intimate brands outperform the fortune 500 standard and poors in revenue and in profit and lately even stock price so
0: There are real financial and business. Those are uh, pretty big. Those are pretty big, uh, benefits to an organization, to a company. Yeah. We just recently measured
1: that if you, uh, just during COVID intimate brands, um, did 7% better, which, uh, sounds like a a small number, but if your score raises 7%, you're going to jump a lot in the standings. That 7% translates to a huge amount of lift. If you take what intimate brands do on uh, profit alone, it's billions and billions of dollars. I think the, uh, the estimate is on an annual basis, it's 16 billion more dollars for intimate brands versus those in Standard & Poor's and Fortune 500. Now remember, these are big companies, right? So yeah. it's big numbers, but that's, that's a lot of money. It's a, it's a lot of money. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's a hell of a lot of money. Yeah, it you know, that, kind of, feels yeah. like
1: yeah a smart thing to
0: do. <laughs> it does feel like a very smart thing to do. <laughs> no, that's great. That's, that, that's perfect. That's, uh, I, I'm, I'm glad you I'm glad you brought some of those points up. Um, okay, I want to I want to give uh, people some some direction to go see more and reach out to you, learn more about emblem. Before we drop that, and then I'm gonna do a couple of rapid fire career questions for you. Um, was there anything else that you want to touch on that we didn't go into today?
1: No, I really appreciate this, Scott, thank you.
0: No, no, my pleasure. Well, thank you for for, uh, for the awesome chat. Um, okay, so let's uh, let's just drop some socials. Um, where do people get the book? Where do people connect with you? Where do people go see Emblem? Anything you want? Sure. And I'll put it so, in the show notes uh, too.
1: MBLM.com is the website. The book is available at all your favorite book retailers. It's called uh, Brand Intimacy: New Paradigm in Marketing. Uh, our annual study and the data related to it is free for people to peruse and download and play with. That's also available on nblm.com. And that is our Twitter handle, and you find us in all the usual social places with that handle as well.
0: Do you want to, do you want to drop your stuff as well? Where like, what's your favorite social, your Twitter or whatever?
1: So it's m natterelli at, uh, at m natterelli is my Twitter handle. So first initial M is in Mary N A T A R E L L I, and uh, that'll hold true for LinkedIn and uh, other places too.
0: Great. Okay. Perfect. Um, okay. So in your career you've had an incredible career. Uh, You've had an exit plus multiple successes um, in various, various iterations of marketing agencies. What was your largest challenge? It could be personal or professional. What was that challenge? How did you overcome it?
1: So I think the biggest challenge has been um, working in an industry that completely overnight shut down during the recession You know, financial services and real estate were hard hit. The economy was in a free fall. Every client of any significance evaporated. And so when you see that happen and the lies that it affects, uh, as a leader, you really take stock on how do you build, you know, recession-proof businesses? How do you build for the long term? How do you weather the ups and downs? You know, marketing is very much a feast and famine uh, type of Reality and um, to build a kind of consistent business and maintain sanity through that is the biggest challenge.
0: Amazing, not what sure I've solved just, it yet. No, I was going to say, what were some of the things that, as an agency, because there are people that listen to this that are working in agencies, um, what were some things that you had to do differently, or was it just weathering the storm? Did you change how you prospected? Did you change your product offering? Were there anything significant? Yeah, you
1: know, you, you really start to value proactive new business efforts to really understand what it means to build a wide funnel of opportunities. It really important to invest in the brand, your brand as an agency and your thought leadership. Many of the reasons we do what we do is because uh, we're trying to build, you know, tomorrow's prospects and the future clients of the business. Right. And also elevate the reputation of the firm. So those are things that are an endless uh, requirement, sort of a bottomless pit of energy. And I think the challenge is how do you maintain an energy level for a long period of time to sustain those things? You know, we experiment at times with certain channels and certain initiatives and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes your timing is right but the, pro- but the um, execution is off and sometimes the reverse is true. So I think you just kind of have to maintain your wits and your energy levels to to sort of sustain effort on a continual basis and hope that you reap those
0: rewards. Um, But it is it is it is upping the energy level, upping the activity, and that's what sort of weathered the storm.
1: Yeah, it's also being decisive and making difficult decisions quickly. Uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah, but you're right; it's kind of seeing taking a horizon, taking a long-term horizon view of. Of a reality that um you know isn't the present day crisis that you're in and trying to sort of get through it with that in mind
0: very good and that's obviously like that that's a that's a huge shout for everyone but i appreciate you diving into that because i think there's a lot of people that um didn't weather as well as as emblem um so i think that that's some it's a smart lesson for people to, to to just take note of well, um, I'm sure people okay. did it
1: better than we did, you know, look, like, I, I as, feel as as yeah, yeah, people also
0: did it better. But I mean, there's a there's a scale, there's a scale of success coming out of COVID. But I mean, you're still you're still an organization, you're still around. And you've had, you've had <laughs> that's success. True. And you, yeah. you don't, but, you, you, know, you, you double down on it, like you're even releasing reports about, about things that reinforce your message as an organization throughout COVID. You're talking about lessons right. learned out of COVID, how to apply those to businesses. That's, that's, in, that's, you know, it's intuitive, it's, it's it's a different way of, of approaching COVID as opposed to just pretending it doesn't exist and trying to do the same thing that you've done forever, you actually leveraged it to an, an extent to help businesses be smarter, be better, better educated, educated, excuse me. Um, yeah, I think that's fair and
1: true. And I appreciate that. Thank you. I, I will say, you know, Scott, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and it's easy to listen to people and think, Oh wow! That, you know that that sounds really great and rosy, and what a great success story. In reality, you know it's been a tough slog. It's been really difficult, and we've probably made every mistake and most of them worse than most, right? So, you know, I I, I, I want to sort of share that. Um, you know, what what has helped us is that we have a collaborative spirit. We we really want to build. Uh, brands that we believe in and and for our clients as well so you know that's been ultimately what's gotten us through this and made us compelling i guess to our clients that they believe in us right Mm -hmm. and i think you need to find that you need to find that truth in your efforts or in your work that resonates and and is you know both believable and differentiating and uh, you know, it takes a lot of time and energy to get to that. I think, and you sh- you know, don't mind, don't worry too much about the things that don't go the right way. If you can see progress, even in incremental ways, and you're getting to you know something better and something more productive at the end of it, I think that's that's what should keep you going. I hope that Very helps. Good.
0: I think so. Um, if you if you had one person. Uh, there's probably been many, but if you had one person in your life that you'd have to pick that had a major impact on your life, who was it? And what did you learn from them?
1: it's oh, another great question.
0: It's usually tough because people have so many people that have had impacts on their life. And it can be personal it can be family. It's okay.
1: You know, I think the one person I'll say is um, a client that uh, taught us, I think, the role that we can play. Uh, This this client was interesting because they were, on the surface, very um, atypical, right? But they let us... They they were they let us dream with them and they let us um, elevate and they taught us that you know we could achieve incredible things if we just um, committed to it. So, I think that's the one person I would say has dramatically impacted my life on a
0: professional level. Amazing. I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Crowd Health. Now, as we all know, open enrollment is ending soon it's time to think about the best healthcare option for you and your family. And I know a lot of people are still trying to figure out what to do. And when it comes to healthcare, it's important that you're getting your money's worth. CrowdHealth helps you with covering medical expenses. It's a more flexible and affordable healthcare option without the hassle of insurance. So while you're shopping around, don't forget to head to joincrowdhealth.com slash 99. Find out how CrowdHealth can save you 40 to 60% in healthcare costs every single year. And just to give you an idea of what CrowdHealth is, Crowd Health isn't health insurance. It's a modern way to pay for medical expenses. CrowdHealth is a community of people who are tired of paying into a broken system. Being in the CrowdHealth community can save you hundreds of dollars in monthly expenses and put thousands of dollars back in your pocket. Now, you're probably asking, why would I choose CrowdHealth over traditional insurance? Three main reasons, flexible, simple, membership-based. Membership is a monthly subscription, start or stop, whenever you want, There's simple and transparent pricing that fits exactly what you need to use it. All you have to do is scan bills and throw them away. CrowdHealth takes care of the rest. Now, CrowdHealth is able to offer incredible pricing because of its community of health-conscious members. And they put together a special offer just for Success Story podcast listeners. So get your first six months at just $99 per month. That's a savings of almost 50% off their standard pricing and a lot less than one of those crappy, high-deductible plans. Just go to joincrowdhealth.com slash 99 and enter code SUCCESSSTORY at sign-up. That's joincrowdhealth.com slash 99 and promo code is SUCCESSSTORY. Enter that when you sign up. Remember, Crowd Health is not health insurance. It's a community-powered alternative. Terms and conditions do apply. Uh, if you could tell your... 20 year old self one thing what would it be oh
1: oh oh. Oh, my god i'm wondering how people answer these questions on the fly my 20 year old self what i would say to them is enjoy the ride you may not be heading where you think you're going but ultimately it'll work out be kind around you (laughs)
0: that's how they answer it that's it (laughs) um do you have a a book or a podcast, something that you've enjoyed that you'd recommend people go check out?
1: Uh, well, I think I read uh, probably the things that most of your um, podcast listeners uh, consume, you know, Gladwell and I enjoy Kahneman and Kahneman is kind of our patron saint. He's the the system one system two uh, behavioral scientist who basically. Um, formalized a lot of the theories that we use in, in understanding how the brain works. So he's a, a little bit more upstream in the, the heady column. But I really enjoy um, podcasts that make me laugh. So for me, uh, Smartless and Conan O'Brien and uh, anything that has some humor to it is what I really uh, thrive on.
0: Amazing. And last, last question, what does success mean to you?
1: As a, as a leader in an agency, success is uh, making good on the promise of Emblem, which is to redefine what a marketing paradigm could look like, feel like, for both our clients and our employees. We're really passionate about what we do, but we also want to build a culture that's nurturing, collaborative, uh, and fun to be in. So to us, it's a kind of dual prong challenge or three prongs to our challenge. One um do something that's smart and meaningful in the world of marketing help clients build great brands and, and build a team around you that enjoys the work and feels fulfilled at the end of the day
0: it's a damn good answer you you got you got all the you got all the answers on the fly
1: well we're trying i don't know how i don't know how you grade us on any of those right now but you know
0: it's a start no that's I think it's great. Man. I think it's great. That's all I got. That's, that's it. That's, uh, that's how we close out the show. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show, and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit, and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story.